Well, good morning. This is the Midweek Devotional for Wednesday, April 14th, and my name is Parker Johnson. I'm the pastor here at First Presbyterian Church in Bruton, Alabama. You can find more about our church at fpcbruton.org or call the church 867-5395. Before we get into the Midweek Devotional itself, I would first like to let you know about the changes that have been made here at the church regarding our COVID restrictions. Uh, These changes have been made because numbers are so much better. The mask ordinance statewide has been lifted. The numbers here in the county are very low. Uh, The city and county school systems have gone mask optional, and many of our brothers and sisters at other churches uh, are making similar changes as well. Please note that we are continuing and will continue to monitor the situation, and if needs arise, we can make changes again. First, before I go into the changes, let me say that if you are participating in the service in the parking lot or online due to health concerns, nothing is going to change for you. So we are not taking either one of those options away, and those will likely stay in place for for some time to come. Uh, So we're thankful for the technology that allows us to do that. Some changes will be made immediately, some are coming in a couple weeks, and other things are going to stay the same. Uh, So let me tell you the things that will start immediately. Starting immediately, we're going to end temperature checks as well as the restaurant mask policy. So you won't have to wear a mask when you enter the building, uh, whether you're going to the mask required areas or not. We're also loosening restrictions for our youth events and activities. We're, we're going to still be safe, but uh, loosening things uh, so that we can do a few more events um, and go on some trips. Uh, so not this Sunday, but next, and this is important. Uh, I especially want to highlight this part, that it is not this Sunday. That next, this Sunday is April the 18th. The next Sunday is April the 25th, and so there's a big change coming April the 25th. Um, And that's, we're going to be swapping the areas designated for masks. So the sanctuary now will be mask optional, and the fellowship hall will be mask required. So uh, we do want to maintain the ability for people to sit in an area that is mask required if they believe that is what they need. Uh, However, the sanctuary itself will be mask optional. We might encourage that mask wearing, and you may feel free to wear one or not, but the fellowship hall itself will be mask required. So that's a big change. That's a big change. Um, So let me say that one more time just to make sure we're clear. The sanctuary, not this Sunday, but next, April the 25th, will be mask optional. The fellowship hall will be mask required. We will begin um, our coordinating efforts to get nursery and children's church up and running. That's going to take a few weeks. It's been over a year since we've had either one of these, and so we need to get a few policies in place uh, and volunteers signed back up. Uh, We'll let you know when these things are ready. So what's staying the same? Well, first, uh, parking lot and online services will continue, like I said. We are also continuing our social distancing, and that is uh, per the Alabama Department of Health guidelines. Some of the things have changed, like the mask ordinance, uh, but some have not. And so we will maintain every other pew for a season, uh, both upstairs and down. We are going to continue our current abbreviations to the service. So we will be singing fewer hymns like we've been doing the last two weeks. I've so enjoyed singing, hadn't you? 
Uh, we won't be doing the meet and greet during the service. We won't be passing the plate. We'll continue to be doing communion the same way we've been doing it. We won't have a children's sermon. So there's still going to be some changes to the service, Lord willing, as numbers continue to decline uh, both here statewide and beyond. We can begin to add some of those things back as well. Uh, a few odds and ends. Uh, we have decided to wait until August to begin regular Wednesday night programs, uh, and that is so that we can start meals at the same time. We usually take the summer off anyway, and so we would only have a few weeks before we would be looking to take some time off as well. That said, however, we're going to be looking at having at least one family night function uh, probably the senior banquet, uh, one Wednesday night in May. So there'll be a time where we can get together as a church. The youth committee is working on that, and we'll have information about that as it comes available. Uh, finally, our retiring missionaries, Chuck and Waima, will be here Sunday, May the 2nd. Sunday, May 2nd. Uh, Chuck will be preaching. He'll be playing his violin, and he will also be teaching in Sunday school about uh, their ministry. They have just retired. And so uh, we look forward to hearing from them. Uh, so those are the big changes. Uh, and please be patient with us as we put these in place. So we may have a few hiccups along the way. Uh, but if you have any questions about that, please feel free to reach out to me here at the church. Well, let's pray. Uh, so Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would bless us greatly as we look at our Savior in the temple the week of his um, death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, Lord, guard us from hypocrisy. Help us to love others well from our hearts. Help us, Father, not to just long for recognition, uh, but, Father, certainly and surely to serve the living God and our neighbor. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you were at church Sunday, uh, we looked at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and we talked about how while they were lots of sins going on there that were being dealt with by God. The two we spent time talking about uh, were hypocrisy and then also the, the longing for recognition rather than serving God. Uh, and, and really the second one uh, in many ways is an outgrowth of the first. Uh, we talked about how sin is, is, is like a ball of yarn you know, it, 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 actually, I think I, I used the illustration of a lint roller with cat hair, and it just picks up everything. Everything gets intertwined. Um, when we sin, it's, it's never just one thing. But these are two things, actually, that, that Jesus deals with in his last week of his earthly ministry before his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, we see him during the week of the Passion and during Holy Week uh, doing a lot of teaching in the temple courts. And so uh, we pick up with Mark chapter 12, and note I'm reading from the NIV this morning, which, by the way, it's not my favorite translation, at least the, the one that you buy now, the 2011 version. The 1984 was a very good translation. They've made some changes, but this is what was uh, near me. Uh, so Mark chapter 12, verse 38. I'm going to read a few verses, and then we'll stop and, and then keep going. Mark chapter 12, verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Uh, we're going to stop there for a second and we'll pick up in a second uh, after we talk for a minute. So picture this. They're in the temple courts 
and people are milling around. And, and, and part of the people that are, are milling around are the religious elite, or the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the priests, and the teachers of the law, the, the scribes. And they wore distinctive clothes. So you could pick them out a mile away, and, and, and they really liked that. And so as Jesus is saying this, there are going to be these people around him, perhaps even in the crowd listening to him. We've actually been told that uh, teachers of the law had been coming to him, trying to catch him in his words in, in order to find a way to put him to death. And so Jesus is not pulling any punches. He says, watch out or, or beware of the teachers of the law. And we're told about their outward observance. Okay, so first, they like to walk around in flowing robes. Why would they do that? Well, they would be expensive and they would be easily recognized. Uh, this was kind of their self-appointed uniforms. Uh, and, and part of that is enjoying being greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Uh, this, by the way, is a very convicting passage for me as a pastor serving in the South. Now, my brothers and sisters serving in out West and, and in different contexts, they don't have this problem. But in Bruton, Alabama, as a pastor, there's still culturally a level of respect, whether you're a Christian or not, of local clergy. And I constantly have to be on the guard against this because I like being greeted. I like being recognized, right? And, and that's in, in a lot of ways for very sinful reasons. But they love the attention that people gave to them. It was self-confirming. It, it, was, it, it built up their um, prestige. Uh, they thought they deserved it. And not only as they go out in public and wear this distinctive garb and like to be greeted in the marketplaces, verse 39, and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. Uh, what's going on there? Well, most important seats in synagogues. So um, I was reading the, in the ESV study Bible this morning uh, on my phone, and it was talking about how excavations have shown that there were benches alongside the edges of synagogues. A synagogue was, uh, was basically the church for uh, the Old Testament saints, uh, out, especially outside of Jerusalem. And they would gather on the Sabbath for services, worship services, like 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 we do. Um, and along the edges were rows where the those of honorable positions would sit. Now, in, in those days, a lot of times it was only the teacher who sat. Uh, it was only the important people who sat, quote unquote, important people, and, and everybody else stood. By the way, that's how it was in churches in Europe up, up through probably the 17th, 18th, uh, and perhaps even 19th century. There weren't pews in, in big fancy cathedrals. The people stood and, and listened to the pastor preach. Uh, but anyway, so they liked sitting down uh, in the nice spots and having that place of honor. Um, but not only that, at banquets, at parties. So I don't know how it is at your house. When we have a party, we usually just put tables out and people sit wherever they want. But in those days, 
where you sat at the table was a highly regimented thing. And those who were the highest, who had the highest honor, who were the most important, would sit closer or in closest to the host. And so this is when James and John, when they come to Jesus and say, hey, let us sit at your right and left hand when you come into your kingdom, that, that's what they're talking about. They want the places of honor. Now, this was their behavior on the outside. Is there anything wrong with wearing a flowing robe? No, not in and of itself. Is there, being, is there something wrong in and of itself with being greeted with respect? I mean, we should respect those in authority over us and spiritual leaders. And, you know, by, in and of itself, there, there could be godly reasons for those interactions. Um, and if you're preaching at the synagogue, it would make sense. You'd sit up front. Uh, and if you are... Uh, the guest of honor. There's nothing wrong with being the guest of honor at a banquet. Somebody's got to be the guest of honor. The, the question is, why? Why do they want those things? And it's, and it's not for any godly reasons. They enjoy those things because of what the, of the perceived significance it gives to them. You know, certainly, uh, whether you're a preacher or not, uh, whether you're in leadership or not, we all struggle with this, right? We all want that recognition. We all long for people to think that we are important. We all long for people to think that we have it together, that we're not just normal, or, or should I say it, that we're, that we're better than other people. That's our sinful flesh. Do you do this? I, I don't know who you are listening, but I do know you do this. Because we all do it. We all do it. Now, this is what's on the outside, but we see what they do in secret, in private. We see there's a disconnect between what they want to portray and what's really going on in their hearts, starting at verse 40. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Mm. So on the outside, they look respectable in public, but in reality, they are not concerned for social justice in, in the biblical sense. There's an unbiblical sense we can use that phrase too. But they're not concerned about caring for the most vulnerable. Indeed, they take advantage of them. So on the outside, they have this very religious image but it is not matched with their behavior. And their behavior, too, uh, as they put on religiosity as a way to serve themselves rather than serving God and others, as they show, make a show for them, or excuse me, make a show of lengthy prayers. Um, this is hypocrisy. Uh, hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another. Now, as we talked about Sunday in the sermon, we're all hypocrites. Every single one of us. Every single one of us is a hypocrite. Um, anytime we sin, we're a hypocrite. As we say we shouldn't do something, and then we, we go and do it. And, and, but then we struggle with greater hypocrisy. We see that rank and high-handed hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 when they wanted to be seen as being godly, seen as sacrificing to care for the poor, when in reality they lied to the Holy Spirit, they lied to the church, 
and brought only a portion of what they had sold uh, while telling everybody it was it was everything that that they had gotten what is the what is the end result well Jesus says these men we punished most severely there was a, a quote in my sermon Sunday and it was from John Stott and it says it says God hates hypocrisy but loves reality there is freedom in reality isn't there See, we all go around trying to construct for ourselves and for other people's consumption a kind of virtual reality or manufactured reality of what, what we want to think our life is like, what we want to think we should be, uh, what we want to think is important rather than what God says important and living humble lives before God and others. I do this, don't you? I struggle with this all the time. But God loves reality, and there's freedom in reality. There's freedom in reality. In being honest that we don't have it together, being honest that we struggle, being honest with the fact that we face fierce temptation, being honest that we don't have all the answers. There's something very freeing and refreshing about that. Now, we have to be careful, right? You can take this far too too much, you know, that... Um, we are called to live holy lives, to pursue holiness, to mourn our sin. So when we talk about reality, the reality is of trying to follow Jesus and walk in his statutes, succeeding sometimes and failing others. For Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free, we're told in Galatians. We're told in the Gospels uh, that in Christ we are free indeed. The, the truth shall, shall set you free, and, and you shall be free indeed. Because the gospel allows us to say, hey, we're a mess. We're struggling. We, we don't have it together. We've messed up. we failed in areas. Help me, Jesus. Because the reality is that in, until we live in reality, we will never be able to fight our sin. We will never be able to um, grow more and more like Christ because we have to deal with the reality of the things rather than the image that we like to put before others. Now, right on the heels of this in Mark chapter 12, we have an example, another example of this hypocrisy, and it's the widow's offering of the widow's might. So again, reading from the NIV, starting in verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. I like the NIV how it translates that, worth only a few cents. You know, it helps us know that, that this is not very much. We're going to read in a second about what Jesus thinks about what's going on here, but uh, first, on the outside. Okay, so in the temple courts, there were 13 collection boxes big strong boxes with uh, metal horn-like horn receptacles. So you it's, it's kind of like, I haven't seen a picture of these, but I like to imagine, like when you're going through a toll booth and, uh, and, and they're automated and you have to throw your coins in, there's something very satisfying about the sound, the clink, and the rattle of that money going down into the receptacle. Uh, 
And so people would line up and they would give money. And, and the more money you threw in, and these were coins, by the way, they didn't have bills. Uh, these were coins. So the more money you, you threw in, it sounded more impressive, right? Well, all these people are putting in these large amounts, according to verse 41, these many rich people. There's nothing wrong with rich people putting in large amounts. Proportionally, that's good. They all do. But they were doing it out of hearts that were looking for recognition rather than giving it to the Lord. In other words, they were giving it to themselves rather than to God. But this poor widow, now a widow in that, situa- in, in that culture you, you weren't necessarily old. Uh, you weren't necessarily old. Many people, you know, you think you got married in your early to mid teens, and with death rates, what they were, you could very easily be in your twenties and be a widow with young children. Widows wore distinctive garbs, and they had a very bad situation. If they stayed with their husbands, their deceased husbands' family. And they, they were more or less a servant. They didn't have any kind of real standing. They didn't inherit their money uh, or their, their husband's properties. If they went back to their house, their parents' house, then most of the time they'd have to repay the dowry, which was paid to their des- deceased husband's family. Uh, they couldn't inherit. They, you know, this, this was before uh, women were working in the workplace. It was a, it was a bad place. And so it's, so when we read that it's a poor widow, in many ways, this is what's called a tautology. When you say something twice, uh, the same thing twice, because widows were poor. You did not have, by and large, rich widows. And so what did she do? She came in and put in two very small copper coins. Now, the Greek here uh, refers to a lepton, L-E-P-T-O-N, it was a Roman coin, and it was worth about one one hundred twenty-eighth a denarius. So one one hundred twenty-eighth a denarius. So you had to have one hundred twenty-eight of these things to equal denarius. What's a denarius? A denarius was what you got paid for one day's labor. So she only threw in two of these things. So this was a very small amount of money. Now, what does Jesus think about this? Verse twenty-three. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more money into the treasury than all the others. Now, how could Jesus say that? Because from a quantitative perspective, that's not true. right? I mean, she has put a very small amount. But then he says, but she's put in more money than, than all the others. Well, it's because God looks at our heart rather than the dollar number on our check. Uh, they all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, but in everything, put in everything, all that she had to live on. It's not a coincidence this follows Jesus' teaching on hypocrisy. She gave out of her heart. She gave out of generosity. She gave out of desire to return to the Lord but others were giving to themselves. Others were giving to themselves. See, she did. She went looking for recognition. She was, she was giving, out of a loving heart, returning to the Lord, a portion of that which He had given to her. Apparently, everything she had to live on here. 
So what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway? Well, the, the two things we talked about Sunday are illustrated here. These sins of Ananias and Sapphira, of hypocrisy and desiring recognition more than being faithful to God. How do you see these things in your life? I don't really like to ask myself that question because it's a very convicting question. But my friends, I would imagine you struggle with it the same way I do. The good news is that Jesus is in the business of forgiveness. And so we come to him. We come to him and confess not only the bad things we do, but in the words of Martin Luther, our damnable good works. Our damnable good works. You know, because even our good works are tainted by our sins. And even when I desire to do what is good, it's often mixed with selfish motives. Which just shows us our need more and more for Christ. For His forgiveness. And for growth in His grace that he might make us more and more like himself. This process is called sanctification, whereby we are putting to death sin and living more and more unto godliness. And it makes us uh, yearn for the day when Christ comes back, where even the good things we do are no longer tainted by our sinful motives. So we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.